0: All right, everybody, today, we're going to talk about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Let's go.
1: Welcome to the Russell Westcott podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge and skills that you need to start, grow and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams.
0: Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? Sure, hope I had your attention from the opening on today's podcast. So I'm going to try and keep this opening framework and opening contacts pretty tight because I've got a, a day full of uh, podcast episodes I'm going to be recording. I think I've got. She's. I think it's about four or five. No, what is it? Hang on, let me look at my calendar. It is four. No, it was five. One just canceled. So. I do have a little bit of time. So guys, here's what we're going to do. First of all, before we dive into the interview here today, I just wanted to thank Bradley Watson. Had an opportunity of being on his uh podcast recently and he has the Toronto's number one real estate podcast. Now, the one question I forgot to ask him, I was going to ask him is, how, how do you measure that? And, you know, I, I'm always geeking out and trying to find out uh, how do you measure the stats and, you know, just get feedback. It really is. It's not about any competition or any that kind of stuff. I'm just trying to find out feedback and I'm trying to find out how do you know if you're progressing? Like that's many things in your life, like you're sitting there looking at is, is, you know, let's say, for example, you're wanting to start running, and you want to start, um, you know, running, and eventually you're going to do 5k under 30 minutes. How do you know if you're progressing? you get yourself a good watch, you get yourself an app, you start measuring the stats, you measure the details, you measure the data, and then you make a course corrections and you adjust accordingly so you can eventually hit your goal. That's what I'm trying to find out here as well as how do you become the number one real estate investing podcast in Toronto and how do you measure those stats and how do you uh, find out about that? So, so first of all, Bradley, I hope you're listening to this fantastic conversation. Very much enjoyed our conversation and you some amazing questions. It was just, it was it was a wonderful conversation. No wonder you're growing very quickly of your knowledge and in insights. Now, interesting to note is I probably should have kept the recording going after we were done. We had about 15 minutes after we were done and we just got into, oh, so what's going on in the Toronto marketplace? And he just went on a tangent about what's going on in the Toronto marketplace and stuff. And it was just fantastic. It was a wealth of knowledge. So first of all, guys, if you haven't heard about Bradley Watson's uh, Toronto's number one Real Estate Podcast. I encourage you to check it out and go over there, hit it up, subscribe to it, leave some comments, leave some feedback. And thank you very much, Bradley, for the wonderful conversation. So speaking of conversation, in this episode, we dove into the difference, a lot of differences between wisdom And knowledge. Um, I talked in here about how I define knowledge and how do I define wisdom, and then also what's the difference between the two. And I'm not going to steal the thunder of the episode. You have to listen to it, but there is a significant fundamental difference. Some people think knowledge and wisdom are fairly synonymous, but they are fundamentally different from each other. So we go head first into that. we also talk an awful lot about some of the lessons learned over the past 20 years. And we focus a lot more about what I'm doing specifically within the last five years. What lessons have I learned within the last five years that have fundamentally pivoted and shifted my focus for the last past 20. Because, you know, we can only go forward from today, we can only go forward and operate from moving forward. And sometimes the things that happened 20 years ago, sure, you can take the information, you can take the the knowledge, you can take the wisdom from it. But how do you apply it to today? And that's where we went deep into is how am I applying all the knowledge and wisdom that I've learned over the past 20 years? And how am I applying that in today's marketplace? So we obviously talk an awful lot about, some of the things I'm doing, you know, new construction, the properties, and why we talk about the new construction. The one thing I, I go deeper into in this one that I haven't um, probably shared in any episode, which just I made a note is I probably should dust off the education part of this and teach it within the podcast. Is about you know I call it the trade in trade up program, and that's why I'm getting into new construction properties is buy something brand new, own it for a period of time, trade it in, and then buy up to another property. You know, and just keep trading it. And, and I think Bradley used the term is Russ, you're buying houses like I buy cars. And in essence, it's true. It's almost like a, a rent-to-own model. Now let's pragmatically think about this. We as real estate investors are taking capital. Okay. We are renting the capital from the bank. In some cases, we might be renting the capital from investment partners. We might be renting the capital from other people's money. Private lenders were renting the capital to then go and acquire an asset being a house which is technically we're renting it from the bank right and then we are then putting a tenant in it to rent from us and hopefully the tenant is paying more rent than a cost of our rent to our bank and our shareholders and our capital partners and essentially it's it's a big giant lease to own program and then eventually over time with the tenants with the rent they're paying will help pay off the portfolio free and clear. And then once you have it free and clear, then you own the real estate asset. So think about it, it's really truly a big giant rent to home program, if you will. We're renting the capital from the bank, from our partners to charge more rent to our tenants to eventually own the property free and clear after a course of time. Then what I shared in this episode is how I treat the portfolio is I take the properties and then before a lot of the major mechanical, a lot of the deferred maintenance, a lot of the costs are coming in there. I will pass that cost on to the next person buying it from me and I will start the clock back at day zero again with a new property. So long-winded way of saying is that's what I just kind of made a a reminder for myself is I probably should teach this framework in a little bit more detail. Now, I know I've taught a lot of the framework about buying the new properties, but I didn't teach the framework about the trade-in trade-up program, if you will, after say seven to 10 years is trading it into a newer asset again. Okay. So hope all that helps as the context so make sure you you listen right through to the very end. There is a lot of wisdom in this podcast plus there's also a few knowledge bombs dropped along the way. With all that being said, let's get right after it. Please help me welcome Bradley Watson. Russell, thanks for joining us on the show. How you doing? Hey, Bradley. How's it going, my friend? So long time no talk. We, we were trying to coordinate this in the spring, and then all of a sudden summer happened, and now it's in the fall here. And I know we're, we're going to do a cardinal sin, and we're going to date it a little bit, but I'm, I'm honored to be part of your podcast here, my friend.
1: And I am thrilled. I'm glad that, that we were able to get this together. And it's nice to have a fellow podcaster as well. Maybe tell our audience what your podcast is called. It's very easy to remember.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) we went on a corporate retreat with the entire team. We spent tens of thousands of dollars. We hired big consulting firms to come back and come up with the best creative minds to come up with the best podcast name. And we came up with the Russell Westcott podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you have folks. There you go. Make sure (laughs) you guys go over and support. (laughs) Love it. So, Russell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe give us an intro. You're going to share some deep wisdom over the last several decades with us. But before we get started, maybe tell us a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. Whenever I hear somebody say, well, Russell, you're a veteran of this game, or several decades, I feel like I have to get my walker out, and I have to, well, you know, four score and 400 years ago, back when I got started, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, so. Now, I'll keep the intro really tight and short, but before we do get to it, I just wanted to just um, acknowledge you, Bradley, and congratulate you. Toronto's number one and fastest growing podcast out there. You're you're obviously doing something very well. You're resonating with your audience and you're just absolutely just crushing it. And this is a needed service for people out in the community of real estate investors. So just want to congratulate you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, like in good Canadian fashion, whenever you have to talk about yourself, what do you do? You deflect it a little bit. So, so uh, the real quick story, I'm born and raised Saskatchewan, grew up in a very, very small town, under 300 people, had no real estate experience whatsoever, went the route of getting a university education, the College of Commerce, bachelor degree in the University of Saskatchewan, started the traditional path of going down a route of traditional sales uh, with craft foods in the in the dairy industry a lot of and then i moved over to saputo foods and then i slowly realized that the climb in the corporate ladder you know the ladder was leaned up against the wrong wall and i was right around the year 2000 the turn of the century that's how far back we start going here is um, I was having a little bit of a crisis, a little bit of a crisis of Peter Pan syndrome that I never knew wanted, wanted to grow up. And what do you do when you have a little bit of crisis at that time? You turn to Oprah. And on Oprah was that Robert Kiyosaki was on there. I think it was in April of 2000, and he was talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it just set me on a path of exploration, coaching, mentorship, reading books, action. And the one thing that resonated with me was real estate. And when I bought my first place would have been 2002. I went on a tear. I think I bought a property a month for more than five years. And then I still continue to buy properties. I bought a property. I bought multiple properties this year alone. Right. So it's just been a journey of exploration. It's been a journey of, um, coaching, providing value and supporting others. And I'm in a phase now in my investing and where I'm at with what I've learned that I need to be a blessing to other people. And I'm starting to give back all the knowledge and wisdom that I've learned to the next generation of real estate investors.
1: Yeah. And guys, there's, there's many platforms that you can Uh, grab on to some of this knowledge and wisdom. And um, by the end of the show, you guys will have heard, I'm sure, several methods to do that. Now, over the last 20 some odd years, maybe we'll jump right into it. Give us some thoughts, some words of wisdom, some insight that you've maybe collected during your time. Obviously, you've been very busy. You've been a lot on the go. Been very involved in the real estate community, but what are some of those golden nuggets that you really are feeling called to share?
0: Yeah, well, there's a yeah. How many hours do we got here, Bradley? So I'll, I'll keep I'll keep it tight. So first of less all, less than one. Yeah, less than <laughs> one. Yeah, less than a half an hour. No. Um, So first first of all, um, I'm just going to have a very clear distinction between knowledge and wisdom. Okay, knowledge is, which you know, a lot of people do when they go to the podcast world, they listen to podcasts, they subscribe to all the YouTube channels, they read all the books, they go to all the seminars, they've attended every Zoom meeting, and they're learning the process. They're educating themselves. So that's knowledge. Like, by all means, dive into it. There's another level that investors need to go to and get to eventually, and that's called wisdom. That's essentially where you've taken the knowledge and you've applied it, and you put the experience, and you fallen on your face and you've made the mistakes and you hit a few home runs and you struck out many times, but only going through the process can you actually get the wisdom. And that's one of the things that I, I want to kind of share here with people. So so here's the thing I'm going to tell with a lot of people is if you've read books or you listen to podcasts, you'll hear the thing is invest for the long term. Okay. Invest for the long term. Now, Very few people actually know what the long term means. Like I'm talking 15, 20, 30. I actually seek wisdom for people that have been in investing for 40 years or more. Okay. So you want to find people that have gone through the ups, that have gone through the downs, that have gone through the flats. Because let's, you know, I'm not trying to be harsh here for a second. But if you've been investing in real estate for the last five years, maybe even seven years, the only thing you've ever seen in many cases is a meteoric rise of prices that go up exponentially. And you're disappointed when properties don't double in value every year or two, right? I mean, growth rate was only 7% last year. Oh, man, the market's done, right? So those things happen. Markets go up, markets go down, markets stay flat. Now, here's the thing is with, with yourself, your mental state your emotions how you love your portfolio and how you don't like your portfolio goes ups and downs and waves of that like as well so there's times over a course of a long career of this game in real estate that you'll fall out of love with your real estate and fall out of love with your properties that you just need some help and guidance and support from a community support from coaches support from people who have been down the road before you how do you turn it around if you're stuck how do you turn it around if you're just not love with your portfolio? How do you turn these things around when it's uh, flat and you don't have these meteoric gains every year? So the thing I would just say is seek wisdom, seek people that have been down the path before you. Don't just seek people that have been five, seven years in the business. Seek people 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the business and learn from them. Listen to them, learn from them, throw out the stuff that doesn't resonate with you. But by all means, seek them out and listen to them. Because one of the mistakes I made is I had lots of those people in my life that had lots of experience and I was just too young and naive and too full of myself and said, what does that person know? know they're, they're just been in this game for too long. They're a dinosaur, if you will. You know what? Most of the lessons those people taught me way back in the day have actually come true. So if you're just getting started, seek that wisdom, learn from it, but also take action from it.
1: I think that's great. And even on this show, our frequent listeners will recognize we have a variety of guests, right? I mean, I just this morning also recorded a guest, which you guys will probably have seen, I'm assuming a week before this one, unless we get some scheduling changes where they got 18 units in three years. And we see those, and those are often the ones that hit the news and the media. And there's a lot of energy. I'll bet you, if I had this interview with you 20 some odd years ago, you'd be on the stage speaking with that much charisma but I do agree with you when it comes with talking to investors that have been doing it for the long haul, seeing the, all the things that you've described, there is a different approach to the conversation. It's very much a storytelling conversation, not so much an aggressive attack of the market conversation. And I think, I mean, I don't think, I know you're right. We have been extremely lucky. And I think that's kind of created a culture of expectation of price growth. And I think we need to wake up a little bit. And I think that these types of conversations are are really, really good. So-
0: well, do you mind if I jump in there a second, Bradley? Sure. So uh, 100%, that person that built those 18 units in that short period of time, high five, well done, congratulations. <laughs> no, no, first of all, that's the first yeah. thing I would do. The next thing, if I had that person here, if I was having a one-on-one with them, I would just say, let's just, let's just have a conversation. Here's one thing I do know. Sometimes your ego is not your amigo. So let's get in check here. Are you in check with your long-term vision, your plan, or are you just building a portfolio so you can tell that you've purchased a property a month for five years. And and I'm here to tell you, when I said that earlier in my a little bit in my introduction, that was the stupidest thing I could have ever done is I grew way too fast. I added way too many properties. I grew to over a 100 units fairly quickly. I did not build the team and the infrastructure to be able to support it. I had at one time there was rent rolls of, you know, $150,000 a month. And I'm trying to do it part time with a skeleton crew of people. I didn't do that. And I had At the same time, I had to all do it all myself. I didn't have any team. I had no other people around to truly outsource all that work to. And uh, you know what, you know, to keep this really short, it didn't end well in a lot of cases. And in some cases, I had to rebuild on a few pro and I bought a lot of properties that were not good properties. But I did it because my ego and I was trying to uh, boast myself up and look great in front of a room full of 400, 500 people and look at me beat my chest, look at me how great I am, you know, all that kind of stuff. And just remember, sometimes your ego is not your amigo, make sure you're in check, make sure you're building the infrastructure to be able to support the big Business because think about this another way. If you had that 18 properties, so 18 properties, you know, you're talking 20, $30,000 a month in rent roll a month, you're talking a half a million dollars in business. Do you have, if that was a, another business, right, you would have it a team of accountants, a team of lawyers, you'd have all these people to support the business. Do you have that as a real estate business? Most people, when you peel back the curtain, are just a single entrepreneur. They're managing their own properties. They do everything themselves. They're doing their own bookkeeping. Their books and the papers are in a a shoebox that they send off to the accountant and they don't have the structures and the business system behind them to be able to scale and grow from there.
1: You're right. You're bang on. I mean, I get messages all the time through Instagram folks saying, you know, got this many units and, you know, and I get that sense that they're very much a small investor gone big. And it works until
0: it doesn't, right? And no, I... Well, it's the (laughs) the old game of musical chairs in some cases, right? It's, It's all great when the music's playing and there's a chair to sit down on, but all of a sudden, maybe if the market takes a pause... Um, circa what in Ontario, Toronto, what 2017 was a pause a little bit out, out was out there. Uh, there was people with the music stopped playing right during that really short window, and they had no chair to sit down on. They're going, uh oh, you mean to tell me that place that I bought for eight hundred thousand dollars I can't sell for nine hundred eighty five thousand when it closes? What do you mean?" Right. And oh, yeah. oh, by the way, I had to qualify for a mortgage and close on it. Oh, come on. I was just doing an sign it before it closes. Right. So the music does stop playing. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about what the market is going to do. But in many cases, just trust your gut. In many cases, if the market feels and it's going way too fast and it's growing outside of its economic fundamentals underlying it trust your gut don't trust the pontificators of people that are just going to say the market's just going to keep going up forever and because it doesn't markets never ever will keep going up forever and take a look at your market where you're at and take a look at the growth curve if it's been if it's been growing for you know for many 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 years it may take a pause or if your market's been flat or declining for many, many, many years, it can't stay there forever. I would be buying in the flat and down market to ride the next wave up, not buy the one that's been going up for the last 20 years.
1: Food for thought, folks. Love that. Love that. So apart from building your team and kind of with the end in mind, as we're describing this, knowing, I guess, identifying what we don't know, the wisdom we haven't yet developed and recognizing markets aren't always on the upward trajectory What is some other important skills you'd say matter from those that you've seen around you and and in your own experience that have allowed you to test that time or go through the test of time?
0: Okay. So let me frame this a little bit for you. So most people probably listening or watching this will probably want to make some kind of change. That's why people go to YouTube. They're seeking for an answer. That's why people listen to podcasts. They're seeking some kind of an answer. There's truly only two ways that you can make a change. And that's by meeting new people. And that's by learning a new skill. Okay, so by all means, always try to keep meeting new people, even if it's on virtual, if you can still get out to a meetup group, you know, if you have to wear a mask, don the mask, go out, meet the people, potentially the next person you meet may change your life. Okay, the other is skill set. Always learn to keep elevating your skill set. Now, here's the skill set I would give to young, aspiring real estate investors. Learn the arts of leadership and communication. Learn the arts of inspiring a team of people. Learn how to do a public presentation. Maybe get on a podcast, deliver a YouTube video. Learn how to be able to get in a, a thought process get an an, an intention and deliver that intention to a group of people, whether it's one-to-one, one-to-many, one-to-thousands. If you learn how to master the art of communication, whether it's written, whether it's images, whether it's audio, or whether it's video, if you learn the art of being able to communicate your message to a wide audience, the world is truly your oyster and you will never struggle for business again. You could become known as just the person to get on a a podcast or a YouTube channel or a video, and then you can Communicate a message, and people that can't communicate messages will come to you and say, "Look, I have this incredible project. Would you like to be part of it? What I would like for you to do is, if you can communicate this message that you're part of this project, and then you can distribute this message out there. Right? It can be a business within a business is becoming somebody who's known to be able to share a message to a group full of people.
1: So, I guess the lesson to grab out of there is your ability to communicate, or not necessarily sell yourself, but maybe sell yourself, sell a message opens doors in the investing world, in the real estate world.
0: Hey, everyone. Sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to take a quick pause in today's show to share with you a real estate investing and financing tip that has helped many investors scale up their portfolio data-driven decisions and having a roadmap are two of the most important fundamentals for real estate investing success. When it comes to financing income properties, it is critical to take a strategic approach versus a traditional transactional approach to financing. A transactional approach is when your lender or broker just speaks to you about the deal at hand versus sitting down and helping you with your plans of financing and putting a roadmap together for your next properties. Do you have the critical answers to start grow and scale your portfolios answers to some key questions such as where will the money come from to keep acquiring your properties how do you structure your deal strategically while not painting yourself into a corner with future financing and how to proactively manage your borrowing power these are just a few of the key questions you need answers if you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to structure your financing strategically i suggest you speak with one of the team members at Streetwise Mortgages. They have helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios and also get into the game of real estate investing. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise Mortgages. Best of all, on top of the financing roadmap, you'll receive a summary report on the top 18 Ontario markets. Plus, you'll receive a comprehensive deep dive research report on your market of your choice of the top 18. I'm currently looking at one of these reports right now, and they are comprehensive and deep data-driven decision materials for you to make the right decision. I highly recommend you take a look at this if you are interested in starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing portfolio. To book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That's info at streetwisemortgages.com. There will also be a link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. Let's take a real-life example here, Bradley. I know you love to do the podcast. I know you do, because the way your team has interacted with myself, the way you've put together the time and energy you've put together with your equipment, things like that, you love to do it, right? And you put out a high-quality product, and you have it very efficiently done. But at the same time, it's good for business, Right. Right. People hear it. People will come back to you. People will maybe want to transact with you because you've been in their earbuds for 70 some plus episodes for hours and hours and hours. And they just feel like, you know what? I know Bradley. I trust Bradley. I want to transact with Bradley. So it's been good for business that you've been communicating your message to an audience of people and they've come back to want to do business with you. And you're not even selling anything other than selling people some good education, some good content, some good inspiration, and some encouragement to move forward, right? Yeah.
1: And I agree. And I've heard it, I guess, said in different ways, but I love the way that you're kind of introducing it and giving the value behind doing it. I think it's easy to say, you know what, get on podcasts, but it's a different story when you start to recognize that this isn't just we're not just pushing out to do it these skills the communication skills the sharing of messages it's a lot deeper a little more it gets you out of bed. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun, right?
0: It's Monday yeah. morning out here where I am, and very early in the morning out in the West Coast, right? And I was, I've was i been up since, you know, three hours now, and I'm excited. This is on my calendar. I'm looking forward to doing this. And and as you would know, Brad, there's a lot of people that, because you have a successful podcast, there's a lot of people reaching out to you that probably do a really poor job of, put me on your podcast. We just closed this $17 billion project. Put me on your podcast. Um, no. <laughs> Right. What value are you going to bring to my audience to help move forward the message I'm trying to do? You probably haven't even listened to one of my podcasts. You probably don't even know the message that I'm trying to accomplish and stuff like that. You know, I get those requests all the time and it's just like, sorry, that's a technical term for delete. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's more of this approach of give me versus share and let me share with you and your audience. And I totally get it. But let's get off the podcast conversation. Let's get off the communication conversation. Let's let's segue a little bit. From a perspective of a savvy investor who's done a few doors, we are like, "Yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm eighty percent loan to value on my properties. I'm a little nervous here." Or, or someone who's entering the game, like, what advice should they take, and what advice should they? put away. Like when you're listening to someone with all the energy, there's good in there too. Yep. But what is, what is the stuff? So maybe it comes from how you listen to podcasts, how you listen to information. What is it that you're like, yeah, I could take that or no, I've heard that a thousand times. doesn't work. What are those kind of topics?
0: Here's the one thing that I do is I always, I call it the 1%. I'm always looking for just that 1% nugget that i can actually implement and move forward it's just like um here's the analogy i would use a lot of people um sit there at the beginning of a year end of the year and say look i'm going to read 52 books this year one book a week i go fantastic congratulations high five okay what did you implement from those 52 books that you just read what actions did you take from those books uh, well, I read the next one. Okay. So everybody's so focused on consuming the next book. They actually didn't implement a book that they just read. So with a lot of people I work with, we actually slow it down and we do a book a month and we immerse ourselves. We get the audio version, we get the paper version. And then at the end of that month, it's how many things can you execute and implement from that one book? And you're only going to do 12, you're going to do one a month for the entire year. Because it's all about the execution and the result versus just the consumption and moving on to the next one, okay? So that's one of the key things there is, is just that comes back to the knowledge versus wisdom is you have to execute and apply the process and that's how you get the wisdom over years gone by.
1: No, I I, I see exactly what you're saying and I very much in the real estate world too, there's a lot of shiny object syndrome. There's a lot of running around and very much, we love passive income, passive income is sold, but we also love passive consumption of information and listening to a podcast. Is that reading a book is that, but I love the approach and I, and I very much agree. I mean, there is no doubt every guest on our show, are action takers, people that are worth listening to are those who have taken action in their own way, whether that's in their personal life, their real estate life, whatever. Instead of just kind of standing by listening and being a voice, you know, like it's one thing, and maybe this is coming back to your wisdom scenario, but it's, it's one thing to have a voice. It's another thing to have something tangible or practical behind that voice with with some support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you just triggered a conversation piece there is have a voice. Um, that was one of the hardest things that I had. To eventually over time was to discover my voice and find my voice. Because sometimes when you don't have your own voice, I'm a, I'm a very shy and introverted person naturally. And when I first got into this whole game of real estate, I said, I want to make a success of this. So I went to some conferences, I went to some spaces, and I said, who are the players in this room? Who are the people that I I need to connect with? And it's usually, first of all, the people on stage were were the people that were, quote unquote, the players. And then during the break, you'd often find little breakout groups with a person in the middle surrounded by eight, 12 people. And then the next person over here surrounded by eight to 12 people. And I go, "Okay, those People there would probably be the players because people were wanting to learn from them. OK, so what I decided at that time was to eventually learn the skills to become the player, to be able to communicate the message back to that point. But the key thing was, is surround yourself with the right Community of people that will keep pushing you. But eventually, you have to find your own voice. And finding your own voice is scary enough in itself, being able to trust your own voice, and your own wisdom is a whole deeper conversation. So, finding your voice is one. Trusting your voice just comes from time, experience, and comes through wisdom. It comes through, to be honest, it comes through just falling flat on your face a few times and dusting yourself off and getting out of a funk. And how do you, if you're feeling stuck, how do you move forward from there, really? So, it's an an evolution. Um, It's not a revolution in many respects.
1: Some of the best speakers, I can't say I'm interpersonal, intrapersonal. I can't say that I hide. Let's put it that way. Nope. <laughs> In some ways, I love my own voice and it drives my family crazy. <laughs> so I do believe that's a learned skill because we do have many guests on our show that, that claim that, that they don't have that, ab- that outspokenness, but they're clearly outspoken. They're clearly doing, and, and I believe that can happen outside of video and podcasting too. But one of the things that you kind of, that I would jump on there as well is it's a community, it's a community game. This is a networking game. It's a people business first. And then real estate just so happens to be the asset. So I just thought would highlight that because I yep. think that's a good point too. But is there, and maybe you want to add, but we'll add it in here. What is something you hear that you're like, nah, like that drum has been beaten way too much. And I just can't kind of get behind that. I've seen that come through as a false narrative in the past?
0: Here's the thing is, um, there's a couple things. Number one is some people feel that you have to always invest in your backyard, where you live, you have to be able to drive to the property, or you have to be able to self-manage it and stuff like that. And I sit there and I look at where I live, like I live in a suburb of Vancouver, and no different than many of your people that live out in a Toronto or a suburb of Toronto. And I can't find a property that works anywhere around here, that the numbers just don't make sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I could hopefully buy a property and while try to have it be significantly negative cash flow to try to absorb it over a period of time to eventually sell it in a speculative market in the future for more. And that has been proven. I wish I would have done that maybe about 10 years ago. All right. But here's the thing is, if it doesn't cash flow in the area, you can barely, and if you can't afford to hang on to it, you can, doesn't matter how much the value of the property goes up, it's just going to eat you alive. And if you have too many of those negative cash flow and properties, you're going to hate real estate and you're going to have to work harder. And most people get into real estate for the freedom of the cash flow it's going to get them, not that you need another job of real estate. And now, real life example. So having a conversation with a, a fellow investor out your way and, and uh, they were buying this property and the only way they could potentially make it work, it was like $1.5 million or something like that. And the only way they potentially make it work was to, to turn it into a rooming house, rent it out to students, buy the room, stuff like that, and, and do that. I go, okay, what's your experience of renting rooming houses? Oh, None. Okay, so you're going to hate life if if you have no experience with rooming houses. Okay, do you have a professional managing it? Um, No, I'm going to do it myself. Okay, but you have a full time job, right? Okay. how's insurance looking for it? Oh, I haven't got my insurance yet. Oh, good luck trying to get some insurance on a rooming house at the moment. There are options, but good luck. And but they had like eight rooms and they only had three of the eight rented because the school was still closed and they were bleeding $1,000, $1,100 a month. They go, but once I get those other units rented, I go, how long can you last doing that? And and so I go, the good news is two things, is either you rent those properties ASAP as quick as possible to get the cash flow up, or the good news is you bought it at a decent price, you put a little money into it, you potentially could sell it and make about $40,000 and move on into something that might be a little bit easier for you to dump into on your first transaction. So here's the thing that I say is you don't have to force a round peg in a square hole to buy where you invest. Your capital doesn't care where it goes. It just wants to earn a return for you. And what I've done within my own business is I've moved to another province to invest in a market that's on a flat trajectory at the moment with all the indicators on the economic fundamentals that it's about to hit another bull run on the way up again. And that's what I'm doing and have done over the last years.
1: Yeah. And I love the get out of here kind of example, because I think that that is an ultimate solution that you have that you've come to. It's just as I sit back and I kind of look at the local market, I look at what's going on across Ontario, not even just in Toronto and not even just the GTA, but outskirt communities now, too. The temptation is, is just to get assets to hold it. It's a long term. So let's say I'm taking a cash flow loss. You kind of sit back and say, well, everybody's taking a cash flow loss. Everything that's on the market is negative because the demand on the purchasing side is so high that, yeah, well, at least I'm making a mortgage pay down. I'm net positive, even though I'm not seeing it on a monthly basis. What would be your response to that conversation? Would you say red light, don't go, but ultimately pushing yourself out of that market? Or would you say, you know what, maybe there's other creative ways that we can obtain value or is that for a specific type of risky investor like what what is your kind of dialogue with folks in that in that pool
0: i'll give you a real life example so here's a conversation i was having with somebody so it was a couple weeks ago now, and they were looking at this um, box in the sky condom for nine hundred thousand dollars. And they they were saying it's 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 actually a property that will work here in Toronto, in an area. And I go, well, that's fantastic. Share the numbers. And the numbers were really tight, really skinny. They were getting thirty four hundred rent for nine hundred thousand. It would with some creative pro forma math, they were making it work. I go, okay, so. Okay, congratulations. Um, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, but that's just the lessons I've learned over the years. Let's take the exact same price point of 900000 with the exact same amount of capital, and let's move it over to this market over here, which it, where I invest in is Edmonton. I can find you for the exact same price point. I can find you a fourplex. Brand new construction, fourplex with a a yard, with land, side-by-side semis with suites. That's going to generate $6,200 a month in rent. And if I do real pro forma math on it, it's going to generate about $1,500 spendable cash for you per month, give or take.
1: Okay. What would be the purchase price on that one in Edmonton?
0: It was about $900,000.
1: Same price.
0: Exact same price point. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's a completely different asset as well. And you actually get some land with it at the same time. And you're almost doubling, almost doubling your rent. Okay. So that's how I can usually tell if people are doing a little bit of creative pro forma math is because I kind of know that that type of a property at 6,200 in rent will get about 1,500. If somebody's only getting 3,400 in rent, I know they're creatively juicing the math up somehow, right? Or they're justifying it that it's getting pay down and I'm getting all this pay down from it and it's this, that, or the other. So there are different avenues. And I know a lot of clients that I've been working with are. Been divesting of some properties out your way and have been moving it out into markets that are poised to grow on the upswing, you know, i.e. Alberta, Edmonton, there's some markets in Saskatchewan. And these are some really good properties too, like high quality properties, as opposed to, you know, 80, 90 year old houses that are fraught with deferred maintenance and you're paying $600,000 for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, from the tale of history here, I've been in real estate since 2014. So I'm not in the same wheelhouse as, as what you're describing. But from where I've seen, even in the, the short time that I've been in real estate investing, I've noticed that that pressure has gotten more and more. People are feeling like they need to jump through hoops in order to get in because the stories are from folks like, well, like us and where there's been a level of success in the past. It's a habit just to say, well, they made it. I can make it. But if I can't get in, I can't make anything. I'm stuck. Like you get in the game and this whole conversation of activity or being, you know, getting involved. I think that pressure has just been building up up until 2017 and then everyone's running away. Maybe there was an opportunity in there. But since then, it's just progressively getting worse. I guess the question to bring it all the way back is we're all looking for a good investment. What would you say from your history in real estate has been the best investment that you've made since you've started?
0: Well, I will answer your question to frame it in real estate, but um, the best investment by far, no questions asked, is an investment into myself and is an investment into my education, investment into my mentorships, the people who mentor me, my coaching that has been the best investment. The second best investment is investing into my team, investing into my team of people that's around the business. Those are the by far the two biggest investments. Within the context of real estate, the best investments I have now pivoted towards and I've only learned this in the last 5 years is moving towards Quality versus quantity, moving into purpose built new construction properties as opposed to try to fit round pegs and square holes. We actually purpose build our properties. We have the numbers right from the beginning and we build the property with the tenants in mind before we actually dig a hole in the ground to to put in there. So when you're before you even design it, you can actually put where the parking is going to be. Before you even dig the hole, you can actually build the walkways. Before you even dig the hole, you can put the soundproofing in. Before you even dig the hole, you can actually design it. You can move the garage closer to the house if it was a rear garage property give a longer apron for more parking you can pick a corner lot and you can have up to 12 parking spots around there as opposed to just trying to find something on the street trying to fit that round peg in a square hole if you actually purpose built the property from the ground up you will have a better tenant experience and you will have a better ownership experience and it will do nothing but add cash flow to your bottom line
1: And I guess from my outside perspective, I don't do development, but from the outside perspective, I've, I've heard many large Canadian investors discussing the idea that people are looking for newer in general, like people that are out in the resale market, even where I've noticed there's been a shift is it's just traditionally been more inexpensive to purchase something that's fully built. But with the cost of real estate now, though development costs have gone up, you're kind of apples to apples. In some cases, you probably are leaning towards development. So I think that that's a natural progression. How have the last five years kind of shifted that, that strategy for you?
0: And and it all depends on the market, the numbers, like for example, many of your listeners are probably investing around the GTA area and that. And for many, and I talk conversations all day long with people and people buy houses and then put a, a suite into them and they call them their duplexes, right? Right now, in the outskirts of the Niagara regions and places like that you're paying upwards of $600,000 for a house before there is even a suite into it another 150,000 you're into it for 750 now you've got to complete a complete duplex the market i'm buying in i can build a brand new house with a suite around that 500 to 5 and a quarter mark brand new it's already done right and it's purpose built and you get all the things you want out of that and you get almost the same kind of rents less, but you're also paying $200,000, you're into it for $200,000 less than what you'd be doing out there. So it all depends on the market, but you plop that new construction property that i'm buying you plop that out into into those other markets and you're paying eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars for something brand new so it just it's just a little bit of market dependent just knowing your numbers knowing the key players having some good boots on the ground and just diving into a market and knowing it better than the people that probably even live there right so i, I know my market probably better than most people that actually have lived there all their lives in many respects yeah
1: yeah. Knowing the market. And I think that's a big part of that too, is understanding what works in your area. If you're doing a duplex conversions or adding nanny suites, depends on the market, depends on the zoning. And, and I agree that that you need that kind of depth of info. Do you think maybe you've leaned towards development because you're kind of the headache of the deferred maintenance has pushed you over there? Or are you doing it strictly from a financial decision? Like I'm curious how much of it is the yeah. soft change and how much of it is a hard change.
0: Well, here's well. I had a few more hair follicles when I first, when I first got started, and um, why I lost a lot of hair follicles was because of, over time, here's another big lesson that I've learned over time, is the longer you own a piece of real estate, the older it gets. So, wow, rocket science, eh, Russ, right? But, but most people don't understand that, is you buy a property, let's say it's 60 years old when you buy it, and you plan to hold it for 20 years, when you're done, it's going to be 80 years. Everything probably had to be redone. You have to put a new roof, you have to put new windows, you have to, the the heating in it, you probably have had multiple uh, rain floods that come and maybe the weeping tile and all that kind of stuff. Everything probably had to be replaced. So that's one of the reasons why I learned those lessons is because the deferred maintenance over years, when you start owning a place, you know, 10, 12, 15 plus years, you have to budget for all those things. And not a lot of people will budget for all those things to be replaced. That's why I went towards new construction, because for typically for the first 10 years, you actually don't have any of those costs. If you do, there's actually for the first, you know, two, three, four years, a lot of it's covered under warranty, if anything's ever wrong, because a new home uh, warranty program. Then what I typically will do is in year 7 to 10 is I will divest of some of those new properties, sell all that deferred maintenance that's upcoming onto the next owner, and I'm going to go build a new place, and then I'm going to have the first 10 years of stress-free ownership where I get to benefit from that. Here's the thing is. Treat your real estate like a portfolio. You don't have to hang on to it for 40 years. You can actually have a portfolio of 10 properties that you transact and trade over every 10 years. And you will always have new properties in your portfolio and you'll have a better ownership experience. That's definitely a unique take on it. You buy houses like I buy cars. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's I call it the it's almost like a leasing program, is really what it is. Yeah, it's a it's very much the same. And I get
1: it, like I get. The reasoning. I get the 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 thought behind that.
0: And the only way I know this is because I've owned properties that have just not performed well. And the deferred maintenance, like when I sit there and I look at my new portfolio and my portfolio I've owned for 15 years, the numbers in black and white just tell the story. And I'm sitting there going, why do I own these properties? These these older properties, this with the deferred maintenance down the road. And it's just they cause the majority of the headaches.
1: I can see when you when you first purchase a property, you do all this analysis, right? All these plans on how much is my maintenance going to cost and, and management and, and all these upcoming expenses for the first five years. But then at the five-year mark, we just roll it forward. There's no re-examining of what we have. I think that's that's a big point of ignorance out there. It's something I don't usually focus on. Five-year... Let's go, like, are we truly doing a full pro forma at the five year as we did at the first purchase? I'm guilty of not doing that. I think that's something that's wise to do.
0: Yeah. And here's the thing is, and then what you potentially could do is if you can absorb that you have to put new roofs and windows and all those things in, by all means, keep it by all means. But if you're sitting there and you're looking at it and go, holy moly, this is going to cost me $19,000 over the next three years. Where's this coming from? It's either coming from your, your right hip pocket, which... People will not then analyze the return on investment that they had to put another $20,000 into their property, or it's going to come from the cash flow of the business. Okay, I can absorb it, then I will keep it. Or in my case, in some cases, what I'll do is I will sell it and I'll transfer that cost onto the next owner and I'll go back and start the clock back at brand new construction moving forward again.
1: Okay, we're running short on time here, but I definitely, there's been a lot of optimism here. I want to hear about a failure. In your past that you've kind of looked back and you're like that was a good failure (laughs) no i'm glad i went through that i'm not i'm glad i'm not going through it but i'm glad i went through it
0: wow sometimes uh i often make the joke that sometimes i've been put on this planet to serve as a warning to others of what not to do um here's the one of the biggest failures and it's something i alluded to early in the process uh, and early in our conversation too is i didn't build that team I didn't build the people around me. I was the, you know, for two terms I'll use, I was the lone wolf and I was the hand solo. Okay. I had to do it all myself. I had to do all the property management. I had to do all the books. I had to do everything myself. And still to this day, I have a little bit of that. Nobody can do it as good as me syndrome, right? And To be honest, probably nobody can do it as good as you in many cases. But there are people out there that love to do the books. There are people out there that love to do property management. There are people out there that love to do the acquisition for you to go kick up the the listings and go find the property. There are people out there that will gladly go research the lending opportunities and approach 20 banks on your behalf as opposed to you just having the relationship at one bank. Build out the team is one of the fastest ways if you have a growth mindset to do this don't get me wrong i think there's there's a cap that most people will get to you can probably do a 5 to 10 properties on your own pulling out your hair in many respects but you probably can get her done but if you have any aspirations beyond that take the time get some help build out the team so to succinctly answer your question is i felt i had in order to add value to others i had to do it myself all the time and here's the conversation i have with people is A lot of people are looking for capital out there. And people, high net worth individuals, don't want to potentially place capital with the person unplugging the toilet, the person painting the wall, the person doing the drywalling. They don't want to place the capital with that they want to place the capital with the CEO. They want to place the capital with the person building the team that has a team of resources and the person that's looking 30,000 feet in the out of, of the crow's nest, looking out in the future, looking where the icebergs are, looking where to go next. That is where high net worth people want to invest with. They don't want to invest with a, you know, pardon my language, a glorified property manager.
1: Wow. Very good. Love it. Guys, I know you've gotten so much value. I know I've learned a ton and had just really good dialogue today. Russell, really appreciate it. Where can folks find you? Maybe once again, mention your podcast, but what other platforms could people get access to the communication and all this insight you're putting out?
0: Well, remember that that high-profile consulting firm we paid to do all that creative marketing and stuff like that? So everything revolved around my name. So if you Google Russell Westcott, it's not Russell Westbrook. You'll get the joke when you start typing in Russell West and then the first person that'll come up was Westbrook. I'm definitely not him. If you Google Russell Westcott, that's where the, the podcast is. That's where the all the uh, social handles are. That's where my website is. Everything revolving around. If you're interested in learning more, just, just search my name and you'll find more pretty easy. No doubt. Anyone
1: who's gotten to the end of this podcast has got a ton of value guys. If you have any questions for myself or for Russell, please leave them down below where you can and um, support the channel. Share this on Instagram. You can tag us as well at Watson Estates. Russell, it's been a really good conversation. I have a feeling we'll be seeing you again soon. So thank you for taking the time to join us.
0: Honored to share my friend. So what did you think of today's episode? Did you get some new wisdom from today's episode? Did you know, did you figure out and listen to the difference between both knowledge and wisdom? And most importantly, what actions, what are you going to implement from listening to today's episode? Did you get a new fresh perspective on maybe how to analyze properties? Did you get a new fresh perspective on what it takes to be successful long-term in real estate? Did you get a new fresh perspective on owning properties for 10, 15, 20 Thirty years or longer, and what it takes for the ups and the downs. Did you get maybe some fresh perspective on the mental makeup and what it takes when you're feeling a little bit stuck in order to keep moving forward? Okay, guys, I sure hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like I mentioned, I do have an entire day full of uh, podcast episodes and some training tutorials, and I'm going to be in front of the the lights and the camera and the microphone here all day long, and I'm looking forward to just cranking out some more content. There is so much more to follow. There are so many more details to to come. If you haven't left some feedback or you haven't yet subscribed, I highly encourage you to leave some feedback and subscribe. And more importantly than both of those is if somebody shares this with somebody else, is... To me, the greatest honor that I can have is if you feel compelled enough to share this with somebody else. So if you're ever having a conversation in a network setting or in somewhere out in a meetup group and people are looking for good, you know, fire podcasts, send them my way. I'd love to be able to inspire them, encourage them and help them move along on their journey. All right, gang, until the next one. Remember, you know how we end off each and every one of these podcasts. In every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast.